If you have your Bibles tonight, let's open up to the book of Acts, chapter 10. Um, we're going to be looking, looking at this whole chapter tonight, believe it or not. Um, and I promise we'll get through it in a, in a timely fashion. Um, so Acts chapter 10, we'll read that as we kind of go along tonight. Um, before we get into it tonight, let's just open the, um, go to the Lord in prayer and ask His blessing upon His Word in our time together. God in heaven, we thank You so much for just uh, this, this who You are, Lord. Uh, such an incredible God, Lord, as, who has just blessed us with so many things. Father, I thank you just for our time of worship, um, where we could just just reflect on who you are and just sing these praises to you that uh, you're so worthy of it, Lord. Um, Tonight, God, I just pray that you would just focus our hearts. God, we know the enemy would like nothing more than to distract and to to get our minds off of what's going on here tonight. But but God, uh, last I checked, your word says, greater are you that is in us than he that is in the world. So Father, tonight we just ask that you would reign in this place, reign in our hearts and in our minds. Um, let the word that comes forth tonight be yours. And I pray you do, we would be just encouraged, challenged, um, whatever we need tonight, Lord, just move. And we give this time to you and we ask your blessing upon it. In Christ's precious name we pray, amen. Have you ever considered that all of your life's experiences is actually God's preparation for your next assignment. All of your life's experiences, have you considered that everything you've experienced from beginning till now is God's preparation for the next assignment that he has for you? You know, as we think about our lives, we're, we're all different. You know, we all have different ages, different careers, different experiences, different relationships, different hang-ups in life, yet God, I'm convinced, has a plan for all of it. Nothing that we have gone through in our life is coincidental. There are no accidents when it comes to God. Um, He's he's brought us to the place we are today um, for a reason. God has made us who we are, and He's allowed us to experience what we have and has placed us where we're at right now because He has a unique plan and purpose for each of us that He is preparing us for as we speak. Now, I think most of us believe that, but I think the natural question that most people have um, when we consider those things as Christians is, well, what's that plan look like and how am I going to know when it gets here? Uh, Well, that's what we're going to be talking about a little bit tonight, and as we're going to see through Peter today, I think the answer really is as simple as just trusting God in the hearing now and just following Him one step at a time. As he leads. So by this point in Peter's life, he had seen a lot. I mean, he had just an incredible ministry among the Jewish people. The the church was growing, the message of Christ was expanding all over Israel and beyond. And and yet at this point, even though that it had been ten to 12, 15 years, something since um, the church had really begun there, the, the church was primarily made up of Jewish people. Now, there certainly were um, some exceptions. Um, we know of some Gentiles that were saved. Um, we know certainly that there were some Samaritans that were saved. But it would seem that all those that were not Jewish were, at the very least, Jewish converts to that religion before they came to faith in Christ. Um, but today we're going to see God move Peter in a direction that would not only 
bring like this dramatic and important change to the dynamics of the church. It would also just completely revolutionize their understanding of God's plan for the church. Now before this point, most if not all of the Christians that, um, that were saved at this point held to the Jewish faith, held to the Jewish traditions, and, and many of them to the Jewish prejudices, as we're going to kind of see today against even some of the Gentiles. Now, don't get me wrong, they certainly believed that Jesus was the Savior, that, that faith in Him was necessary for forgiveness in heaven, but, but they also still believed very much in the traditional Jewish beliefs, um, and, and for the most part, followed them. I mean, up to this point, again, even you know, a decade after Christ, most of them still worshipped in synagogues. Um, yeah, they met in houses, but they still met in, in places like that. Um, they, they still went to the temple in Jerusalem at times. They practiced the traditional morning and evening prayer rituals, even still practiced the, the dietary restrictions that the law had, as we're going to kind of see today in our text. So at this point, there very much was this belief among the apostles that to be a Christian, you first had to be a, at least, if not blood Jewish, certainly converted to the Jewish faith in some way before Christianity. But again, that was all about to change in really dramatic fashion um, as the Lord moved in Peter. So let's go ahead and um, get into our text, and then we will kind of walk through this as we go. So starting in chapter 10, verse 1 through 8, it says this, "...in, in, in Caesarea there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius." who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. And one afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the, to the, to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now, send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. And as soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants, and he told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. So we have this man here, um, this Cornelius, and now he's living up in this area of um, Caesarea, and this Cornelius is not just a Roman soldier, but he's a Roman centurion. I mean, he was over a uh, hundred men, and um, what we know about Caesarea is it was by the Mediterranean Sea, but more importantly, this was actually the headquarters of the um, Roman governor who was kind of over the land of Israel during this time uh, of Rome. Now, by Peter's day, um, the Jews took the, the, the commands, uh, excuse me, now this, this, this Cornelius is, is described here um, as um, like this devout, God-fearing man. In fact, he and everyone in his household had left the polytheistic mindset of most of the maybe not fully to the Jewish faith, but had converted over to the Jewish God, if that makes sense. So the, the, the Romans at the time were still very polytheistic in nature, meaning they, they worshipped multiple gods. So if you look up in the night sky, sometimes you can see our planets, you know, Mercury, you know, Saturn, Jupiter, all them. Well, maybe you didn't know this, those were all Roman gods. So our, our planets that we see and that we name are actually named after Roman false gods that in, in Peter's day they very, very much thought were still real and they worship. But, but this man, this Cornelius, he had left that mindset and was focused on the Jewish God. 
But although he and his family believed in the Jewish God, they they obviously were not yet converted to the Jewish practices, meaning um, more than likely, I mean, I I highly doubt they were circumcised. They they didn't worship in the temple because, quite frankly, they couldn't as Gentiles. Um, And they certainly didn't follow the the dietary restrictions of the Jews either. But, But even though this man wasn't fully practicing all the Jewish traditions, he was certainly a very good man. He's described here as somebody who was Gentile. A man who helped the poor and gave to the poor. He was a man of prayer. And, and because of the man that he was, God took notice of his heart so much so that he sent one of his angels to go and, and speak with him. And in verse 3, it says about 3 o'clock in the afternoon while he was praying, this angel appears to him and, and God tells him, look, God has seen your heart and there's this man that you need to meet. Now this may sound strange to this man Cornelius. Maybe he knew Peter. Maybe he didn't know Peter. At least knew of him, maybe, I don't know, but he says, you need to go find this man, Peter. Up at, he's over in, in Joppa, staying at this man, Simon the Tanner, and he's got a message for you. And so, as I probably would too if an angel came up and appeared to me, he, he sent uh, one of his soldiers and a couple of his servants to go find Peter, and that's where we're going to pick up in verse 9. So the next day, as Cornelius' messenger were nearing the town, It says, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray, and it was about noon. And he was hungry, and and while the meal was but while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open and something like a large sheet that was let down by the four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. And then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure or unclean. But the voice spoke again, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times, and then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. So if you can get the picture, Peter is, it's about lunchtime, and he's up on the roof, not it's not like a peaked roof like we got. It was a flat roof that many times people would go up and, and sit on. But he's up there, and, he, and he's spending time in prayer with the Lord, waiting for his um, lunch to be prepared downstairs. And, and, and while he was up there praying, the Lord puts him into this trance and shows him this vision that for Peter was something that was absolutely shocking. So if you can picture Peter in this trance, he sees this sheet coming down from heaven, and all these animals on them, and what we know about these animals, if not all of them, many of them were what the Jews would have considered to be impure or unclean, essentially forbidden foods that they were not permitted to eat according to the Jewish law. And yet, as he looked on them, the Lord told him, clean them and eat them. Peter, kill them and and, and eat. Now, again, these were clearly forbidden foods, and so Peter was like, uh, God, I've never eaten forbidden foods. I can't, I can't have those, obviously. And as the old saying goes, old habits die hard. And you would think by now Peter would have learned to listen when God spoke like the rest of us do, right? Every time when God speaks, we listen. Yeah, probably not. Um, but, uh, but, but Peter was a little bit hard-headed and, and God had to give him this vision three different times. And, and, and he's like, Peter, I've said they're clean. You need to go eat them. Now, the, the Jewish, um, like, they could have some things, like they could have beef, but they couldn't have pork. They could eat fish, but they couldn't have shellfish, like shrimp or, or like lobster, right? Um, you couldn't have, like, 
a frog leg. Not that I would want to have a frog leg, but some people, that's, somebody's, that's some people's game, right? Not mine. Um, and, but there, there was all these different things that they were restricted where they couldn't have, and it seemed that that was what was on this sheet. And so the Lord said, take and eat. Now, if you can imagine, this would have really thrown Peter for a loop because um, in his mind, why in the world would God tell him to do something that the law restricted? Why would God say do something that his entire life he had been told was basically sinful to do? Well, what, what, what he was about to find out through this vision and the meeting he was about to have was, was that God was about to completely revolutionize his thinking in more than one way. And as we're going to see, this vision was far more um, than about food. It really wasn't just about whether or not he could have baby back ribs and lobster. He was actually, God was actually creating this dramatic shift that would have a, a major impact on the church, as we'll see here in just a moment. Verse 17 through 29. So Peter was very perplexed. What could this vision mean? Just then the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house standing outside the gate. They asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. So Peter went down and said, I'm, I'm the man you're looking for. Why have you come here? They said, we're um, sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He's a devout and God-fearing man and, and well-respected by all the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that he can hear your message. So Peter invited the men to stay for the night. And the next day he went with them, um, accompanied by some of the brothers from Joppa. And they arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them and, and called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter pulled him up and said, Stand up. I'm a human being just like you. So they talked together and went inside where many others were assembled. And Peter told him, you know, it's against our laws for a Jew to, uh, for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to even associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now, tell me why you sent for me. And so while Peter was still trying to get his head kind of wrapped around what it was the Lord was, was telling him to, to eat these foods that were for, forbidden, these three men that were sent by Cornelius like arrive right at the perfect time. And as they arrive at the exact time, the Holy Spirit tells Peter, you need to go downstairs and greet these people. I've sent them here for a purpose. So, so Peter goes downstairs. If you could probably imagine to his surprise, he opens the door and there's this Roman soldier standing there with a couple of his servants. And when Peter asked them why they were there, they, they told him the story of how the angel had appeared to their master Cornelius and, and what the angel had said and that he needed to have Peter go with them. Um, and then in like this interesting move, Peter invited that Roman soldier and these two people to come into the house there to stay, which was something no self-respecting Jew at the time would do. 
As I said, there was some major prejudices from the Jewish people towards Gentiles, especially Romans, because they were essentially usurpers. I mean, they, they had taken over their land. That was the, the, the land of their fathers that God had given them, and now Rome was ruling them. And, and so the idea of them inviting into their home um, was something that, again, you just wouldn't do. Now, the Jews looked at the Gentiles essentially like unclean animals. So if you can kind of get the picture here, this sheet had far more to do with animals. It had to do with the mindset of the Jews towards these Gentile people that, that Christ clearly had died for, and had, they were clearly called to go preach the gospel too. So anyways, the, they, they, they come, they spend the night, and then the next morning Peter and some of his Christian brothers from Joppa set off with these other messengers and, and head up to Caesarea. And when they get there the next day, Cornelius is there, and he's not the only one there. He's there, his relatives are there, and, and a bunch of close friends were there, eager to meet him right there at the door, and then something interesting happens. Cornelius, this Roman officer, bows down before Peter and begins to worship him. That's something a Roman would not do, let alone a Roman officer. So this shows you the type of just admiration and respect that this man had for Peter. He looked at him as truly a man of God, and yet Peter says, no, stand up. I'm, I'm a man just like you. I'm not to be worshipped. And just as, as an interesting note, one big clue that, that tells us that Jesus truly was the Son of God is that when people worshipped him, he allowed it. That nobody else does. Angels will not allow people to worship them. Anytime you see that in Scripture, Peter, I'm not to be worshipped. But when people worship Jesus, he allowed it. Why? Well, because he was God. You know, he, he, he was allowed to be worshipped like that. Anyways, um, after this initial meeting, Cornelius invites Peter to go into the house, which, again, for a Jew was a big no-no, yet, in, 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 yet he went in, in anyways, and when he got in there, um, there was not just one or two, but a bunch of people there waiting to hear for, from him, and, and the first thing he tells them is something very telling about Peter's understanding of the vision that God had given him. And, and so Peter understood by this point that that vision really wasn't about animals. It wasn't about like the, the hors d'oeuvres that had come down from heaven that he was now allowed to eat, right? Now, certainly God was making a statement about these food restrictions being no more. But again, Peter understood there's a far, far greater spiritual meaning to this vision than simply about dietary restrictions. Now, when it came to the dietary restrictions of the Jews, basically God gave them for the purpose of originally keeping Israel separate from its evil kind of neighbors, the pagan people that were in the, in, the, in, the, in the land of Israel before they kind of came in there. So you can picture Israel years and years before this, they're in the land of Egypt, they're slaves, God lets them out to go back to the promised land. As they're going into the promised land, the promised land's full of just pagans, people who are worshiping false gods, doing all kinds of different evil things, and, and God wanted them to be separate from everybody else, not, not even just in the way they looked, but in even all their religious practices, even the things that they, the way they dressed, even in the things that they ate, they were given very, very specific instructions because they were supposed to be a people set apart from everybody else. Essentially, they were supposed to be the light of the world way back then, just like we're supposed to be the light of the world now as Christians. Now, in Peter's day, um, the Jews took those commands so literally that they, they thought that the idea of entering into a Gentile's house would make them unclean. 
and, and like even unfit to be able to, to worship God and come into his presence. And you kind of even see this way back in the, in the Gospel of John when Jesus was being arrested and tried before Pilate. Um, what it says in verse 28 and 29 of John 18 that the Jesus trial before Caiaphas ended early in the hours of the morning and then he was taken to the headquarters of the Roman governor. His acu- but it says his accusers didn't go inside because it would defile them and they wouldn't be allowed to celebrate the Passover. So Pilate the governor came out to them. So like this was like a true thing that, that no self-respecting Jew would ever go into the house of a Gentile. That's, it, was, it was a prejudice they had, but even more than that, it was one of those things where they, they looked at that as, I'm going to be ceremonially unclean if I go in and even touch something of a Gentile, was kind of the idea. But God was about to break down this barrier between the people, a barrier that the Apostle Paul described in Ephesians 2.14 as this, this wall of separation between Jews and Gentiles up to this point. Um, it says in Ephesians 2.14 that Christ himself has brought peace to us, uniting Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down this wall of separation, this wall of hostility between the two. Now again, there, there was some like 10 to 15 years between Christ's death and resurrection until this point. But what Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14 was talking about there, about bringing Jew and Gentile together, up to this point had not yet happened. Now, before this, um, again, there was a separation, but Christ came and and he he definitely um, was about to change something very, very dramatically. The Gentiles during this point were, 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 I mean, they weren't even able to go in to worship in the temple. They were kept outside in, in the outer gate, which meant they couldn't even go into the place where the worship rituals to God took place. Um, again, they were, they were considered to be unclean. They were considered to be outside the covenant promises of God. But when God gave Peter this vision, Peter came to realize that, that God was not only calling the animals clean, he was saying, look, your perception of upon these Gentiles being unclean, get rid of that thought. Because as I've declared these animals clean, so I'm declaring these Gentile people clean as well. It's kind of the, the idea of what's going on here. So let's read verses 30 through 33. Cornelius replied, Four days ago I was praying in my house, and about this time, three o'clock in the afternoon, suddenly a man in dazzling clothes was standing in front of me. He told me, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God. Now send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He's staying in the home of Simon, a tanner who was living by near the seashore. And so I sent for you and at once, um, it, at once, and it was good of you to come. And now we are here waiting before God to hear the message the Lord has given you. So after Peter asked why he was there, Cornelius told Peter the, the whole story about the angel and, and uh, says, look, we're, we're, we're here to hear the message. So anyways, Peter, seeing this was obviously a, a divine appointment from God, he, he goes on and begins to tell them the story of Jesus. Verses 34 and 35 says, Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that, that God shows no favoritism. In every nation he accepts those who fear him and, and do what is right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel. And, and there, is a, there is peace with God through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. So anyways, it, it seems that it was at this moment that Peter saw the real power in what Christ 
had accomplished through his death and resurrection. He had not only made salvation possible for the Jews, he'd also made it possible for, for all people, regardless of their nationality, regardless of their, their background. Now, before this point, again, it was rather obvious that, that Peter had a different understanding about the Gentiles and salvation, but now God had made it clear to him that there was a completely different reality that Peter had missed. Now, we're not going to see kind of the full implications of this until we get to Acts chapter 15 when this argument is kind of finally settled. Um, but the reality of what God was doing here was he was removing this schism, this division that still existed between the Jews and the Gentiles. And again, was about to make it crystal clear that these people truly were one body in Christ Jesus. I mean, he, he was making the point very clearly here that it doesn't matter where people are from. It doesn't matter what language they speak. It doesn't matter what the color of their skin is. If somebody knows Christ, they're a child of God. If somebody knows Christ, they're our brother and sister in Christ, regardless of who they are or where they've come from. So anyways, as we get to keep it on moving on here, he begins to kind of share the message of salvation in verses 36 through 43. And, and he says this, that this is the message of the good news of the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John began preaching his message of baptism. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the, Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, and um, for, for God was with him. And we apostles are witnesses of all he did throughout Judea and, and, and in Jerusalem. Um, that They put him to death by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him to life on the third day. And then God allowed him to appear, not to the general public, but to us who God had chosen in advance to be his witnesses. We were there when he, we, we, we were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to judge all, the living and the dead. He is the one all the prophets testified about, say, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. And so Peter, he, he takes this opportunity with Cornelius and his family and all these people. And what does he do? He shares his testimony. He shares his experiences with Jesus. The, these things that these people would have been very, very aware of, uh, of, of, of Christ and, and, and who he was and, and the miracles that he did. And, and Peter told him about um, certainly his time with him. He, he told him about the, the death and resurrection of Christ. He told him about the commission that they had to go out and, and share the, the gospel with people. And, and I love verse 36 because you can see that, that what what, what God's trying to do here in Peter's heart is clicking because he says Jesus was Lord of all. I mean, he wasn't just the Lord of the Jew. He was the Lord of everybody in the world. I mean, it's just he shared the gospel. I mean, that's really all that he did. And, and he just told him, like, look, if you, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, your sins are going to be forgiven. Salvation is going to be the result. I mean, he didn't go into any deep theological thoughts or try to have to go explain all these crazy things. He just shared the gospel. Plain and simple. That's all he did. That's our job. I mean, the gospel is intimidating because of the, the spiritual warfare attached to it. But, but can I tell you something? Sharing the gospel is not hard. We know the story, and it's what Peter shares here is the same story we're sharing today about Christ being the Son of God who came to earth, died for our sins, was buried, and rose again. I mean, that's the gospel. Believe upon him. He, he's the way for, to, to forgiveness of your sins, accept him into your life, 
forgiveness in heaven is yours. I mean, that's the gospel message. That's what Peter shares with these, Peter, with these people. And what's amazing is before he even gets to the invitation, these people get gloriously saved. And we're going to see that here in these last few verses. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The, the Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed at the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too, for they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, can anyone object to them being baptized? And, and now that they had received the Holy Spirit just as we did, so he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And afterward, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. I mean, like the proof of their salvation could not have been more clear. I mean, Peter shares the gospel, and the first thing that happens is they start speaking in tongues. Just like on the day of Pentecost, what was obvious was that these people were now Christians. And what's amazing about this was that this was God showing these people that, look, they had the same sign you did as Jews. These Gentiles are not some second-class citizens in the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew, a Samaritan, or a Gentile. You're one in Christ Jesus. You're equal when it comes to the Lord. See, Peter came to understand in that moment what the Apostle Paul later wrote in, in Galatians 3.28, that there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. Something similar is said in Ephesians 2, um, 14 through 18. We already read verse 14. I'm going to read it again, that the Christ himself has, been, has brought peace to us. He united both Jew and Gentiles into one people in his own body on the cross. He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with his commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from these two groups. Together as one body, Christ has reconciled both groups to God by the means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. Um, he, he brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to you Jews who were near. And now all of us come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. I mean, th that's the point of chapter 10. It, it's like there was this, this schism still between Jew and Gentile, even though they really, even as Jews, weren't fully practicing the Jewish faith anymore because they were looking to Christ for salvation and not all the sacrifices and all that stuff. But they still looked at the Jews as these second-class citizens. They still looked at the Jews as being outside of the covenants of God and really having no place in, in the family of God. And yet God was like, look, I told you to go out and reach all the nations. And this is what I meant, all peoples. Now again, this is not going to be fully settled um, yet. I mean, it, it didn't end here. Um, what this was, was really preparing Peter's heart for what was going to happen a couple chapters later in Acts 15 when this is finally settled at what's known as kind of the Jerusalem Council when the Apostle Paul and Peter and all the rest of the disciples come together and once and for all come to this conclusion that a Christian can just place their faith in Christ. I mean, it is truly by grace through faith that one's saved. It's not by converting to Jewish, to Judaism first and then being saved. And so anyway, we're going to get to that, but as we're going to see when we get to Acts 15, if it weren't for what God showed Peter here in Acts 10, Acts 15 may have been a very different result. Now, as we think about this is a lot of information, and I know it, and, and sometimes um, one of my struggles when I read passages like this, I go, okay, there's a lot of interesting stuff in here, a lot of interesting history in here, but what in the world does it have to do with us today, right? Well, as we think about how this relates to us, I mean, certainly as Gentiles, we are the 
beneficiaries of what God was doing during this time, because I don't think any of us in here that I know at least are Jewish, and yet we are all calling upon the name of Christ, um, and I don't think any of us had to convert to Judaism before we did that, right? Anybody? I don't think so, right? And so it, what, what was happening right here were beneficiaries of still today, but what, what really intrigued me about this passage, and what I want us to focus on just for a few minutes here as we close, is, is the way that we see God preparing Peter all along the way for every step that he was taking. Um, and, and what's interesting about Peter's life, even up to this moment, is that God had been preparing his heart in a number of ways, leading him to um, the, the, what he was having him do here, and even later on, we're going to see in Acts chapter 15. Even if you, if you consider like Matthew chapter 8, um, verses 10 and 11, so this is the account where Peter was still with Jesus when Christ was alive, and, and, and they were actually in Capernaum, the same place Peter was in at this point in our, in, in our study tonight, and there was this other Roman centurion that, that, that came there and asked Jesus to heal his servant, and it says, in verse 10 it says, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed, turning to those who were following him and said, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel, and I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east to west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the feast in the kingdom of heaven. And so Peter had heard what he was being taught here years before this. Like, God was preparing his heart even though Peter didn't quite realize it. So this statement that Christ made way back then was like something of like this huge magnitude to say for a Jew because the thought of the Gentiles sitting at a heavenly table with the Jews, with Abraham, with Isaac, with, with Jacob nonetheless, was something that was really unthinkable at the time. Yet I just wonder, as Peter was meeting with Cornelius, another Roman centurion in Capernaum, if his mind didn't go back to that moment that he was with Jesus in a very similar situation, and that light bulb comes on and goes, oh, Jesus said that. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's just my mind, right? But that was, certainly wasn't the only time that, that we see these little things in Peter's life leading him to this moment. You know, he, he'd seen Jesus do a number of things, say a number of statements, like when the, the, something they were eating, and he says, look, it's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean, but what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. Like Jesus was like preparing their minds, like this revolutionary thought that, yeah, I know the law says these things are unclean. They're going to make you unclean, but it's not what goes in. It's what comes out. But anyways, um, there was that. There was the Great Commission. Even at the end of Acts chapter 9, it was no accident that, that Peter was staying at Simon the Tanner's house. Again, a man that, even though he was a Jew, was considered by the Jews to be unclean basically all the time because of his profession. And if you think about it, He was staying there. You have a Roman soldier and a couple other Gentiles come and they get to spend the night. Do you think that would happen in any other Jew's house? Probably not. And yet he was at this Tanner's house who was already considered to be unclean. So he's like, why not? Come on in. What are you going to make me do? Be unclean, right? And so like, they come on in, they spend the night. See, even, even though Peter didn't realize it, God had been preparing him for every step that he would have him take all along the way. God was breaking down barriers in his, in his heart and in his mind all along the way. He was preparing Peter for this moment in time, a moment that um, certainly altered the course of eternity for Cornelius and, and the ones who were with him. Um, but it was also a huge step in, in altering the course of even our lives for today. 
Because again, this was a, a huge, important step in, in church life as we know it. Because like I said, none of us are Jews. None of us had to convert to Judaism before we got saved, right? Now what we can see in Peter's life here was that God was in control. Um, he, he knew what he was doing all the way along. Like all along the way, God had Peter exactly where he wanted him to be. Nothing in his life was an accident. Nothing was a coincidence. Every experience he had, every person that he came in contact with, every lesson that he had learned was God preparing him for the task that he had right now at that point. Now, as we think about that story related to our lives, just a, just a few closing points. What I want to say is this. Our experiences as people are, are not coincidental. Like, whether there are good things or bad things, whether times of trial, whether seasons of grace, whether spiritual victories, whether spiritual blunders, God has allowed everything that we have gone through in our lives for a specific purpose. Like, all of our past has led us to where we are today. It has shaped us into the people we are today for a reason, because God has a plan for us in the present. He's been preparing us our entire life for what he wants us to do right now in this moment. Psalm 37 and verse 23 tells us that the steps of a man are ordered by the Lord who takes delight in his journey. We serve a sovereign God, and with the God that we serve, there are no accidents or no coincidences. I mean, we're, we're the God of Romans eight twenty eight that he works all things together for the good of those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. No matter what we've gone through in our past, we can know for sure that God has allowed all of those things to shape us for who we are right here in this moment. And secondly, God expects us to serve him right now where he's planted us until he shows us otherwise. See, I think as Christians, we, we many times get far too concerned about what God may want us to do tomorrow, what he may call us to next week or even next year. But I think the big point here of this story in Peter's life is simply to do what we know God wants us to do in the here and now. And when he's ready for us to do something else, he's going to show us when we need to see it. Like, as Christians, we have so many things right now that we already know. We, we have a whole Bible full of stuff that's plain to us what God expects of us, right? I mean, he's placed us where we're at on purpose. I mean, I, I really believe that we are here for a reason. Um, like, the job you're in right now is not your job by accident. The neighbors that you have are there by God's sovereign design. The people in your life are not there by chance. You're in the church you're sitting in right now because God has led you here and has a ministry with your name on it to bless the people around you. Like God has planted you where you're at today for a reason. So like I don't, I don't think we need to concern ourselves about what God might call us to do. We have no idea. But what we do know is what God's called us to do right now in the here and now, and so that's what we need to be busy doing. And when God calls us to do something else, I believe he's going to make that crystal clear when that time comes. Because when God is ready to move us into a different place of ministry, he'll reveal it in his timing. Like when, when Peter was in Joppa, I, I can just tell you probably the last thing on his mind was that he was about to go to Capernaum to meet with some Roman centurion. Like, I, I don't think that that was even on the forefront of his mind anywhere, yet God made it crystal clear to Peter when the time came that, Peter, this is your assignment, now go. I can tell you 13 years ago that 
being a pastor of a church in Davis Junction was about the furthest thing from my mind, right? Um, I mean, I was happy furthering my career, just serving the Lord like a normal Christian would. Um, being here 13 years ago was not my plan. I can absolutely tell you that honestly, but God had a different plan. And, and looking back on it in hindsight, I can see just every step along the way as he was preparing me for the, the job that he had for me in my life. I mean, and I think that's true of every single one of us. If you think about your life, where's God leading you? Like, I don't know, but what I do know is that he's going to show you in his timing. Like, if we're simply faithful to do what he's already called us to do, when God has a different plan, he's going to show us in his time. Proverbs 16 and verse 9 tells us that we make the plans, but it's the Lord who determines our step. So we're here for a reason. We need to be faithful doing the things we're supposed to be doing. When he's ready to call us somewhere else, he'll do it in this time, just like he did Peter. And the fourth kind of reality of this I want us to think about is when, when God calls us, I can guarantee you we're going to know it's God's call because it's going to take us completely out of our comfort zone. It's not going to be easy. Like when we think about Peter, inviting a Roman soldier in to spend the night was tough. Going to Capernaum, the headquarters of the Romans, during this time when, let's face it, persecution was happening and all those fears of these people, he, he went anyways and in his mind thinking, what in the world? She, he, he's making these people clean? I mean, they're going to be one with me? We're, we're going we're to dine together with the Lord as one body? I mean, this was something that would have been revolutionary in the mind of Peter, especially meeting with these people, yet... He, it, it was God's will, clearly. I love what Henry Blackaby said in Experiencing God. He says that, that God's invitation for you to work with him will always lead you to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. Like simply put, one way we know that God is leading us in a new direction is when he tells us to do something that, that makes us stop and go, what? Are you sure? God, you, you must be mistaken. I don't, I can't do that. This is not me. Are, are you sure you got the right person? I'm not smart enough. I'm not wise enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not this. I'm not that. And God, I, you must have something wrong. God, God I'm, I'm perfectly content right here where I'm at. I got a great job. I, I got a great family. I don't want to move halfway across the world. Whatever that is, I don't know. I'm just saying, I mean, I mean when, when, when we know... We can know for sure that when God's speaking, this brings us to this place where we go, are you sure? See, Peter certainly had this response when God told him to, to fry him up some frog legs and chitlins, you know. Um, and, and if we're faithfully serving God, I can guarantee that he will lead us to moments like this, moments that require us to um, get out of the boat and walk on water, if you will. You, using one of, one of Peter's examples from his life. Like it, when God speaks, it's going to be a moment that takes us out of our comfort zone that requires us to step out in faith and trust him. And why wouldn't it be? God, God's word says that we're supposed to what? walk by faith, what not by what? Sight. 
Hebrews 11.6, without faith it's impossible to please God. Like our walk with God is strengthened and deepened by stepping out in faith. When, when we do, it gives, us, it, it gives him a chance to prove himself to it, which deepens our faith and understanding of how awesome and wonderful he is. And not only that, as we step out in faith and trust him, we, we become vessels that God can use then to have a, a greater impact on his kingdom. And you think about Peter's life, every, everything that he went through in his life, I mean, if you read the Gospels from, from, the, from, from the man that was chopping off a servant's ear to, to this man that was now going to the Romans and, and just boldly sharing the Gospel, it just didn't happen by accident. It was God leading him every single step of the way, bringing him to this point where he could affect people's lives, where, where God was using him to, to truly change people's lives that in his mind 10 years prior to this would have been the furthest thing from his mind, and yet there he was in a room packed full of Gentiles ready to receive Christ as Savior. And just the final thought as we close this out, I think when it comes to God's call in our lives, as we step out in faith and trust him, God's call will always, every single time, impact other people's lives. Every single time God has a call for our life, it's going to impact somebody else's life. Like, everything that God led Peter to do to this point um, had something to do with the people around him. And, and God's impacted Peter's, his impact on Peter's life ended up putting these people in his path that they were ministered to. And like the same is true in our lives when, when God has led us to a point in our lives um, that, that he has. It's so that we can impact the people he's put in our lives right now in this moment. Like if, if God leads us somewhere else, at the end of the day, it's for the exact same reason. He, he's going to move us there because he wants us to impact somebody there. Like... When it comes to God, he, he is bringing his kingdom to completion through us. Isn't that crazy to think about? He is bringing his kingdom to completion through us. Like we are his chosen people to bring about his kingdom. Like he could have chosen a different way to do it, but in his sovereign plan he chose us. Like we are his plan number one to reach the world. We are his plan to see his kingdom come and his will be done. It's, it's a pretty crazy thought, isn't it? If you think about this world, God says, I've put you here in this world to impact this world to build, to build my kingdom. And, and, every, and, and I'll just say this, God has prepared us for such a time as this. It doesn't matter who we are or what you've gone through, it's not by accident. And there are people in your life right now that God wants you to affect. Right now there's people at your workplace, in your family, in your neighborhoods. God has placed us there because he's saying, these are the people that I've prepared you to reach. And it's our job to reach them. You know, as we think about where God's going to bring us Tomorrow, the truth is I don't know, but what I know is this, is he's going to show us in his time. And when he does, we can be sure of two things. It's going to require us to step out in faith and trust him. And it will have an impact in furthering his kingdom. So until then, we just need to be faithful. Faithful where we are right now. When he says move, we, we move and we, we, we watch with amazement as, as he uses us people that are honestly imperfect and unworthy to accomplish his work. And it really is an amazing thing to think that he wants to use us. He doesn't need us, but he's chosen to use us. And so, uh, I don't know. 
Like I said, I, I don't know what God's called you to do right now. I don't know the people that he's placed in your life. But what I do know is this. He's put you here for a reason. Everything you've gone through in life is, is so right now you can have an impact on these people that he's put in your life. So let's, let's have that impact and let's be faithful to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time in your word, Lord. Thank you, God, just for... Just for being who you are, a, a sovereign God, Lord, I, I mean, I, I just, I, I think about our lives and how we can get so sidetracked, so distracted, so focused on other things, and yet all the while, even though our minds are 100 miles in a different direction, God, you're, you're molding us and shaping us. You're directing us and preparing us each and every step of the way, and because, because you have a job for us, Lord, and in I just thank you that in the middle of our imperfections, God, you still want to use us to serve you. You still want to use us to impact the world around us, God. And so, Lord, please just give us focus. Um, please, God, help us to see. Please, God, help us to become the men and women that um, you've created us to be, Lord. And again, I don't know in each one of these people here who, who it is that you have around them, God, but I just pray even tonight that, that you would put faces in their minds. Um, of people that are in their lives and, and just help them to see even right now in this moment, Lord, that, um, that that person that you're showing them is exactly who you're calling them to minister to, to share the gospel with whatever, Lord God. And I just pray that, that as, we, um, as you reveal that to us, that we would have the boldness to be um, faithful enough to step out and, and minister and reach and speak to those people. God, use us. Um, use us to build your kingdom. Use us for your glory. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. As we close tonight, we're just going to sing just a simple song.